Namaste and good evening to all of you. Being in this period of uh, fewer digital interaction, I'm now going to continue in this satsang with the words and teachings given by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I'm somewhere in the chapter number 12 of that Gospel. And uh, last time I had started with this special teaching given by Jesus, which is called by some authors, watchfulness, like be watchful. It's the famous motto of the Boy Scouts of America and of the Anglo-Saxon culture. Be prepared, always be prepared. Those Boy Scouts were Christian organizations at their inception in the beginning. And uh, the thing was, like, practice a moral life, practice an ethical and moral life, uh, live in the nature, live healthy, uh, eat uh, good, uh, behave in, uh, according to the Ten Commandments uh, in Christianity, uh, as well as in other religions related to Christianity, like the Ten Commandments are valid in Judaism and they are valid in Islam as well. And I'm, what I'm trying to say here is uh, this watchfulness, Jesus is explaining it by a wonderful parable where he says that we human beings, we are like servants, like men, watching for their master to return from a wedding banquet. According to Kashmiri Shaivism, we say we are the cosmic consciousness, we are the Lord of the universe, sunken into oblivion. And then Bhattanarayana or Utpaladeva or other bhaktas of Kashmiri Shaivism, they say since all of it depends on you alone, Shiva, you alone, if you decide now to make me see and feel and experience this for the next 100 million years, I will see and experience this for the next 100 million years. For the cosmic consciousness, it takes less than a snap of the fingers. It's just an act of consciousness that Utpaladeva is now on, awake, returning home, again aware of the original oneness. And then all those bhaktas, because some of them never had a proper state of samadhi of that amplitude. Some of them had it just for five minutes, three years ago, and now they are struggling to have it again. Some of them have it half an hour per day when they pray in the morning, but then they don't have enough energy to sustain it and to be in that state 24-7. And in all these cases, one like Utpaladeva is asking, since it's all just your pure irrepressible will, since it's all about your grace, then by which misfortune am I absent from it? Like, I don't know about the rest of you, you're going to say, but the rest of the world is also living in ignorance. Hey, I'm living alone on an island. I'm living alone in this world, in a mountain, and I have not seen anybody for the last 30 years. I'm a hermit. I don't know what's happening in the world. Maybe everybody died of coronavirus and I'm the only surviving person on earth. But why don't I have the cosmic consciousness now 
constantly a state of consciousness like the state of Nirvana of Buddha, a state of consciousness like the state of Milarepa, a state of consciousness like the state of Jesus when he says, I and my Father are one and the same. Why don't I have it if all depends on this? And he compares this marvelously. He says it's exactly like we are waiting for the Master. We are waiting for the Master in the meaning that this awakening, and this awakening, please, I am always, spe- or very often, I'm speaking in terms of knowledge. Buddha, enlightenment, to know, to open your mind and to become omniscient, to realize, aham, I am Shiva. But, let's talk about it for a second from the standpoint of happiness, because some of you are more sensitive to that. No? It's a, it's a state of the real happiness. How many people are depressed? How many people feel unfulfilled? How many people feel unhappy? And they say, yeah, I've been doing yoga for the last 10 years and still, still I'm not happy. Like I'm bursting with happiness every minute of my life. I'm just like a source of joy. It's like the paradise is flowing in my heart. And nothing can take me out of that optimistic, happy, ecstatic state of consciousness. So Jesus describes this by a parable like servants waiting for their master to return from a banquet. It's like you would say, uh, God is not at home. Of course, that's a... I I was about to say it's a poor parable. It's valid only from a certain standpoint. Because it just, you cannot say that God is not at home. God is here, now. And because he's omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, there is nothing which the divine consciousness cannot do right this second, right here, and everywhere else in this universe. And therefore, it's not that God is busy. Here you are like these people are waiting and they are by themselves. Actually, God is there. The Master is there. But the Master is practicing the special secret technology of invisibility, you know. The Master is there and he looks at them and he witnesses them. But they, they believe that they are alone. So this is the situation. We believe that we have been left alone. And then like with Paladeva, we are asking God, since it's so easy for you to give grace to me, then why don't you give it? Why don't you give that grace to me? I'm suffering. I'm depressed. How many people every day commit suicide on the face of this earth? How many people die agonizingly and in very unworthy ways and so on? Where is God? Why is God witnessing that? This is where the atheistic people, they can't believe that there is a God. Because they say if there would be a God, he should be so attached and involved that he should not allow all this shit to exist on planet earth. But the truth is, That because God is detached, he allows people to feel like there is no God. There is no big brother. 
And then that's an advantage because it gives them the freedom to blossom, to be themselves. But it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible responsibility and burden because people feel that God is busy. And if God is busy exactly when you have a cancer or exactly when your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you or exactly when you are depressed and feel suicidal, then it's like it's too bad. Remember, God is gone to a wedding banquet but he invisibly is present there in his own house still. And basically the whole thing is a spiritual test. It's part of the evolution of the human being that to be like Buddha, to become like Buddha, you need to become watchful. Or you need to have this state where you say, be prepared. And people say, come on Swamiji, I am prepared. I do yoga and meditation for two hours per day. Come on God, come to me. Da, da, da. Aum, aum, aum. Yes, and then I'm completely distracted. I'm on Facebook. I argue with people. I cook myself food. I do this and I do that. And even when I sleep, I don't have lucid dreaming. And because of that, I'm having chaotic dreams that go all over the place. So where is my watchfulness? How much is my be prepared? I am prepared two hours out of 24. And 22 hours... I'm actually not prepared. In the parable of Jesus, it's like we say, what if the master returns while you are on your, or sitting on the toilet bowl or while you are uh, cooking your food in the kitchen? Are you still prepared? Are you still ready? What if the master is returning while you are having sex? Are you prepared during sex to close your eyes and become a Buddha, that very fraction of a second. So, understand please, this watchfulness, this be prepared, is exactly what the Buddhist teachers, inspired by the example of Buddha himself, they have called mindfulness. When you tell to somebody, it's a, it's a clumsy English language translation of this presence. Constant presence. Like you are walking in a walking meditation. And as you are walking, you are constantly ready, 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 ready to see the Buddha nature. Ready, ready, ready to step into nirvana. Ready. It can happen right now. That has to continue 24 hours per day. The last eight hours, which are the most difficult, being during the sleep time as well. Even in the sleep time, you have to be prepared. A replacement of that is if I cannot be receptive or prepared, vigilant, awake, mindful in my sleep, then I should pray before I fall asleep and then I should pray again when I wake up, like now, God, unfortunately, because I'm a spiritual weakling, I am going into unconsciousness. 
please take care that you don't come to me in these eight hours where I'm like not home. I'm not prepared. And when I wake up, I say now I'm coming from a pool of unconsciousness. Hopefully, there will start 16 hours of awareness. Anybody who tries to practice constant awareness knows that that is a joke. Big practitioners like P.D. Uspensky and others, they have tried and they have noticed that minutes and hours every day, many, many hours, they are completely forgetting their awareness. So this is what Jesus says here. It's one of the most difficult things in the universe because he gives a parable which is interpreted in a very Svadistanistic way. It's like a fairy tale by the Boy Scouts and by the Christian world. Oh, like be prepared. The Lord could come any time. And so you should always sign yourself with the sign of the cross. You should always say, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. You know, but when you go, you know, you are just doing something else, then you forgot. And what's happening if God is so tricky that he comes exactly then? Exactly then. Because ultimately it's a spiritual test. It's exactly like a martial arts teacher who tries to catch you unprepared. For example, Morihei Ueshiba, the founder of Aikido, who had a great, a great awareness, he made a deal with all his students for years and years. He said, anybody who will manage to land a blow on me, to hit me by surprise at any time of day or night, will automatically be made a teacher and will get the black hagama in Aikido. Nobody ever managed that. One of his students promises, tells the story that he was with him in a train, And the old man was like dozing in the train. And the guy was holding a fan, a metallic Japanese fan in his hand. And he said, I I should just swing it like this and snap him over the forehead. Snap it over, over the temple. You know, it's just taking half of a second. He doesn't even have the time to wake up and react at that time, in that time. And I am a teacher in Aikido. I made myself a teacher like this. At which the old man opened his eyes and he said, one of my spiritual guides tells me that you have the weird thought that you are going to hit me with that ugly, heavy fan of yours over my head. You are not going to do that, are you? At which, of course, the student shut his pants because he realized that this old man was constantly. People think that he was constantly prepared for battle. But this was a spiritual master. This was a pretext that he was he could never be taken by surprise by anybody even when he was sleeping. But this demonstrates that he could not be taken by surprise by Jesus. He could not be taken by surprise by God. He was there present in a constant state of mindfulness. This is the struggle. So what Jesus describes here is valid even for spiritual teachers. 
many, many of the great spiritual masters of history, they wouldn't be able to fulfill this watchfulness 24-7. And they would rely on grace, they would rely on humbleness, they would rely on, oh God, now I go to sleep and I still don't have full-on conscious sleep. And that's why, please, don't, don't be nasty. Don't come, don't make a nasty surprise and come to me when I'm not prepared. Because look, I make a consecration to preempt it, to forestall it. I make a consecration before and I'm telling you now, we don't play the game of watchfulness for the next eight hours because I'm a weakling who cannot be awake in the sleep and I'm giving you my sleep. My soul is in your hands. Do whatever you have to do, but don't play the game of watchfulness because I'm going to lose if you play this game of watchfulness now when I'm not prepared. So how long time do we have watchfulness no? We have a yoga class of two hours and some people complain it's too long. When we do three hours, three hours and a half, some people complain it's definitely too long. Why? Because the mental monkey wants to do stupid things and not be watchful. So here, this watchfulness is very important. He says clearly, if he comes and finds them prepared, I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve as a waiter and will have reclined at the table. They were sitting like this, they were lying down, the Roman style, and will come and wait on them. God will become your waiter. Like Jesus in this day in the Orthodox Christianity, today is the long Friday in the Orthodox Christianity, the Easter is coming Sunday, in this evening, which is the Last Supper for the Orthodox Christians, in this evening Jesus washed the feet of the disciples to show them clearly, I did not come here to be served by you. I came here to serve you because you are the ones who need something. Strictly speaking, I, Jesus, I don't need anything. I just came to shed my blood. I just came to give my life. And meanwhile, I'm spending my time serving you. Because all the teachings which I give, they are for you. They are not for Jesus. Jesus already knows those things. He's clear. He's there already. And thus, he says, God himself will serve on you. That's a metaphor. It's a metaphor which means if you have reached nirvana like Buddha, then you are on top of everything. The servant becomes the master of the universe. If he passes this test, this is the last test. That's why I remember that Buddha passed this test eventually when he simply got mad because he meditated for six years and the methods were not fully working. And then he got under that famous Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya of today and he sat under the Bodhi tree and he simply said, I will not get up from here until I reach. I will not like non-stop. I will stay here and meditate. It's, this is wakefulness non-stop. It is watchfulness non-stop. It's mindfulness non-stop. So this is the 
the deal of it. And then he says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. Please remember, the cosmic consciousness is not bound by time. Therefore, time has a completely different meaning for God than it has for a limited human being. In time you say, oh when, oh when will it happen? Oh, should I wait more? Oh, today Swami was again late, uh, 12 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever, you know. It, time has a frustrating effect. Time is killing us. Oh, I'm getting old and I'm going to die. So not too long time. I cannot wait for this. I cannot wait for that. God can wait. From the standpoint of, ta- of God, from the standpoint of the five superior tattvas from Kashmiri Shaivism, the Brahma Panchaka, the Pentad of Brahman, from that standpoint, time is a kanchuka, is a limitation. So every time when you say, God, you have to open the Sahasrara of Buddha on the 15th of May. Because the poor guy is sitting under the tree and not eating, not sleeping, he's just meditating. God feels it like you're twisting his arm. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a limitation. Why on the 15th of April or May? Why not on the 14th? Why not right now? Why not one month or a hundred years later? For the cosmic consciousness, time doesn't mean the same thing for us. And that's why it says, even if the master comes in the second or third watch of the night. That means God has the freedom, the grace. It's called Svatantriya, the independence of God, the freedom of God. Grace Shaktipata has the freedom to come whenever it wants, however it wants, whenever it wants, wherever it wants. It's not limited by time and space. It comes according to a superior logic. It comes according to a superior knowledge. It's not absurd. It would be absurd and not divine that Buddha was sitting there desperately meditating to death and suddenly grace was hitting some innocent villager from the village nearby, from the closest village. He was just cooking his rice with dal, his kichari, and suddenly, ping, sahasrara open and nirvana. And the cosmic consciousness goes like, (laughs) good joke, Buddha, right? That would make the cosmic consciousness chaotic and absurd. It is supra-rational, which means you cannot fathom it with the mind. And you don't know if God comes to you in the first watch of the night, in the second watch of the night, or in the third watch of the night. That you don't know. And you cannot say it. When Jesus was asked, when will be your second coming? He said, only the Father in heaven knows that. Not because it's a secret, but because God wants to keep that freedom. I come when I come. I manifest when I manifest. There is a sort of a 
consciousness in me. And when that consciousness says, let there be light, then there is light. Not a minute before, not a minute after. That's why it can be considered as part of the spiritual test. Totapuri did Vedantic meditations for 40 years and then he reached 4-0. 40 years and then he reached Nirvikalpa Samadhi. And Ramakrishna, he explained to him the method. He tried once and he did not succeed for half an hour. And when he tried the second time, Totapuri put a piece of glass in his forehead and cut him and kind of wounded him. And then Ramakrishna went straight into Nirvikalpa Samadhi. And Totapuri laughed. If he would have been an idiot, he would have got angry. But because he was a sage, he laughed. And he said, great is the maya, the illusion, what took me 40 years to achieve, this young boy achieved in 30 minutes. Of course, that is just maya, because it was not 30 minutes for Ramakrishna. He had practiced many, many years in the same life, and not to mention that he was a super advanced soul. Some people even say that he was an avatara a divine incarnation. And as such, it's all Maya. Some of you are waiting more. Some of you are waiting less. But it is important to wait. What means to wait? It means you have to be prepared for the Master to come. Which means what? You have to practice. You have to practice. What's the probability that you are plowing your land and suddenly you go in samadhi? What's the probability that you work in a blacksmith's workshop and suddenly you get enlightened? What's the probability that you are just, uh, I don't know, doing accounting, making your monthly accounting, and then you get enlightened? Well, you know the answer. You can give absurd answer. Eh, Only God knows that. All these hippie, new age, nonsense thing. But if you look at the history, you can say in the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 years, how often did it happen that people had an epiphany, the divine realization, while they were doing this, or this, or this, or this, or that. Most people who had states of realization, they had them during prayer, during meditation, during spiritual practice. Ah, that there can be 1% or 2% or 3% where God has had a sense of humor and they did the spiritual practice now and no effect came. And then they said, the heck with it, I don't know why it doesn't work. And then five minutes later, ping, it came. That's because God is playing hide and seek and has a silly sense of humor. And he's playing games. Now, the cosmic consciousness is free to do whatever. You know, it will not come now because you meditate now. You don't decide. You meditate now and five minutes later it hits you. But generally when we look at history, what happened to Milarepa, what happened to Rumi, what happened to Ramakrishna, what happened to Yogananda and Shivananda and this, it came while they were doing spiritual practice. So to be prepared means to not stop the spiritual practice. 
It is my appeal to the people who left Agama being completely confused by demons during this crisis two years ago and who now, now they find themselves lost and in a spiritual vacuum and they lose their aspiration, they lose their discrimination, they lose their lucidity and they lose their spiritual practice. Dear friends, according to this paragraph, you are not waiting for the Master anymore. You are waiting for the Master when you multiply your practice. And that practice has to be real practice, not some bullshit Merkaba, two pyramids spinning in your aura or something like this. I can invent like this really. I could write science fiction novels and if I could write science fiction novels, I could invent 20 spiritual exercises until tomorrow morning, which all of them would be bullshit. You know? The New Age subculture is full of nonsensical things which people say, do this and you will bring peace on earth. Bullshit. The real technology has been revealed by Jesus, by Buddha, by Milarepa, by Tilopa and Naropa. By, you know, like there are lineages and methods which are famous. Rumi revealed methods and others. Not, not absurdly like this. The new age and the hippie culture of today doesn't reveal pretty much anything. And thus, don't think that if you gave up the solid Agama practice and you replace it with some, I did a peace meditation the other day. I'm sorry to say a peace meditation is a wonderful thing to do. But from the standpoint of watchfulness, it's not enough. It's not enough. All those of you who want to be watchful, stay watchful. Wait for the Master to return. This is in a certain way the ultimate test, the last test. When you have acquired knowledge, clarity, lucidity, you have decided, I have to do this practice. I have to open my crown chakra. I have to open my third eye. Like you know everything. You know what to do. You know how to do. You are practicing it. You can do. Then what is the last test? The last test is that you actually have to do it. You have to be there waiting for the master. If not, it will be wasted. Because he says here... He gives a parable which he used before. I remember I commented on that. He says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. That's the problem. That the trouble is coming unexpected. That's the opposite. When does the devil come and steal your mind? Steal your attention? You don't know. And then afterwards you say... If I knew that he was coming today, I would have been specially careful today. I would have been doing more prayer, more consecration, more this, more that. But you don't. You don't. That's precisely the point. God doesn't want you to cheat. Uh, I know that my next spiritual test will be on the 15th of May. And until then... I'm just uh, dilly-dallying 
and then around the 12th of May, I start be, you know, then you are cheating because you know the cosmic moments. Sometimes Svara Yoga helps people to cheat a little bit on this because people understand some of these cosmic rhythms and moments. But even then, even with Svara Yoga, you cannot at all understand the movements of God. Because God is not Svara. God is beyond the Svara. It's beyond the Prana. And that's why, basically, here he goes on the negative thing. He says, not only that it's good if the master finds you prepared, but remember that if the owner of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would have been prepared. But... Always when the thief is coming, most of the time, the owner is not prepared. The thief is the devil. The thief is this little demon under the foot of Shiva, which is called forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. I know that many of my ex-students are sinking into forgetfulness. Don't do this. This is not about me. I'm not saying you should come back to me. I'm not preaching. I'm not advertising. I'm not selling anything. I'm just saying if you feel that you are lost and you lose your aspiration and you sink into forgetfulness, then it means the devil is taking your mind and you are not prepared for the master to return. Go in a Japanese Zen monastery. Go in Turkey and join a Sufi Darga and spin all day long. Go to Mount Athos and ask them to receive you in one of their monasteries and practice Christian prayer from morning till evening. Go to Bahridaya retreat and do 49 days of meditation every day and every night. Go somewhere and do. Don't lose your thread. You have to stay put. If you still consider yourself a spiritual seeker, you have to seek all the time, without a break. You are just going and saying, my house alarm is not functioning, I will fix it next Tuesday. And then in the weekend the thief is coming, and you say, if I knew, I would have fixed the alarm earlier. But you don't know. That's precisely what Jesus says. No, you will not know. And that's why. And then he tells them clearly. You also must be ready. Because the son of man. He himself is the son of man. And it means the divine presence. Will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You would say yeah but the apostles. These people could see him every day. He was with them. That was an incredible grace. Those people who were alive at the same time with Jesus and who were in the same geographical area and during those three and a half years they actually met him. Those people had an amazing privilege. An amazing privilege in their karma. So otherwise, remember that they were with him and he told them pray with me and then Half an hour later, he found them asleep. And then he scolded them and said, Come on, sit up, pray with me. Then again, after one hour, they were asleep. They couldn't even stay up awake. They were not watchful. This watchfulness is one of the most difficult parts of the spiritual life. That spiritual life is not some opportunistic thing where you try to cheat 
and seize the moment. The spiritual life is something which has to be done non-stop. Non-stop. You have to be that spiritual life. That's why not everybody finds out that they are good for it. But that's not a reason to give up. Peter then asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Because you see they are used that Jesus was telling some more esoteric things into the inner circle. For example, when we in Agama, when we have a Q&A, I am saying some things which I am not prepared to say in a satsang to the whole world. Some technical things, they are reserved to people who received some initiation. And when I have Q&A with the advanced students from the practitioner program, then I am ready to go an extra mile. And when I receive questions during the advanced teachings, then I'm opening the book completely. Therefore, there are levels of revelation. And Peter, who knows this, because Jesus often did this game, he told one thing to the masses, and then in the inner circle with them, he explained more. Peter is saying, which one of this? This parable is to be taken literally, or is there a hidden meaning here? Should we seek for more? And then Jesus answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Take, for example, a king. A king in the old days was exactly like a manager put by God. No, he says, look, who is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? That's, for example, a king, a boss, a guru, a person in charge. No? But it's also that each and every one of us is such a manager. We, we take care of ourselves And maybe we take care of one, two other people. Especially those of you who have become yoga teachers. You are these managers. And you are put in charge to give to the servants, which are your pupils. The smaller ones. The the ones who are under you. To give them their food allowance at the proper time. Which means spiritual knowledge, aspiration, teachings in yoga. It's a hierarchy, it's a grace which flows from high to low. And he says, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. There have been kings who have been loyal, faithful, who have been wise, and until they died, they were doing whatever they could do for their people. That's a test. In Thai Buddhism, they say that that's the last test before Nirvana. That the king who does that is like a bodhisattva. Almost Buddha. Bodhisattva means Buddha to be. 95% Buddha. is a bodhisattva who is tested if he can have this vigilance 
even as a karma yoga, like you are responsible. Can you stay with that responsibility? So now Jesus moves it. It's about to be watchful. To be watchful in whatever you do, including in this story, in this karma yoga of it. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's exactly what happens to Jesus. When Peter told to Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem, they are going to kill you, as you say. Jesus said, the devil is talking through you. Get behind me, you don't know how God thinks. So, Jesus was there for God. God sent him to do this, and he didn't chicken out. Although his human nature would have liked to run away and not be subjected to that ordeal. And thus, Jesus, in this way, he tells his own story. He says, if the master finds him being a good manager when he returns, no, because some people are servants, but some people are managers of servants, then, he says, God, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. He said, look, I gave you trust. You did not cheat my trust you could have you know i could have caught you red-handed i did not which means you have been faithful and good now we go to the next level i give you all my possessions after jesus was resurrected then he tells to the disciples now now after the crucifixion all the power has been given to me on earth and in heaven. Do you understand when somebody says, now, by God, all the power has been given. Like, I can, I can do whatever God does. All the power on earth and in heaven. Jesus says, there is nothing which I am not allowed to do. There is nothing. It's all at my latitude. How? Because he was the faithful and wise servant. And when you pass such a test, I told you these are the big tests, the last tests. When you pass such a test, then he says, God, if God tests you with this one and you are still okay, then he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Like you, my manager, you are like me. You are my right hand. You are part of me. You are an extension of me. I can trust you unconditionally. You can have all my possessions. So, but suppose, Jesus, to make uh, sure that you understand, he gives the negative example as well. He says, but suppose that the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. That's what people are doing now. How many people now say, come on, this story with the second coming of Jesus is a fairy tale. He is not coming. They said he is coming soon. Then they said he was coming at the year 1000. Then they said that he was coming at the year 1666. Then they said he will come in the year 2000. Then they said he will come in 2012. They keep on telling us he is coming, he is not coming. 
That's exactly it. And then when people say, the Lord is not coming, then they start lying on the job. Then they start botching the job, doing it really bad. They lose their aspiration. How many people have gotten out of Agama or out of a spiritual environment? And then they started eating meat. Then they started drinking significant amounts of alcohol. Then they started smoking. Then they started doing other crazy stuff because the master is not returning anymore. The master is taking a long time. In Yeah, yeah, maybe there will be a second coming and it will be in the year 27,540. I'm going to be ashes long before that. So I can just live my life like an idiot because Jesus is not coming. And you are going to say, well, it worked for the people who lived until today. Because if they said they died today, and they said the master is not coming, and he did not come, we know he did not come, then they kind of managed to cheat. That's not true. Because the reincarnation process doesn't stop, and this way of judgment day is also something which happens in the astral world when you pass through your bardo, and you meet with your guardian angel or whatever Ishta Devata is there for you, and then you are evaluating the results of your life. So it's a metaphoric thing. Don't take it like on Svadhisthana, like uh, there is a day when the master is coming. The master is coming all the time. And definitely when you die, and most people die unexpectedly, the master is coming. And then you say, if I knew I would have prepared myself better. Well, you do know, I'm telling you now, Jesus is telling it to you now. Be prepared because there is a game in which God wants you not to know when it's going to happen. And that's why you have to be prepared all the time. That's the condition. If you can't do that, then you are not good enough for spiritual realization. You have to stand on your toes all the time. All the time. All the time. All the time be prepared. So, then people say, oh, the master takes long. He's coming in 20,000 years. Until then, who cares? It won't matter anymore. And he begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and to drink and get drunk. Like he's abusing his function. We are beating the men servants and the maid servants because we are killing the pigs and the cows. And we are drinking and getting drunk and eating and so on. No, we abuse our lives. We live. The Easter is coming and most people celebrate Easter by stuffing their faces. The emergency rooms in the hospitals are full of people that have digestive problems because on Christmas, on Easter and on other such occasions, the best they can do is to stuff their faces and eat like pigs. That's how they celebrate. No? That's exactly like the man, like this manager. The manager is not living his life in a watchful way, in a responsible way. We are all managers. We are managers of our own body, of our own life. Sometimes when you are a yoga teacher, you are manager of other people as well who ask for your counsel and for your support. And you have to be there. You cannot afford to 
beat them and you get drunk and all that. That's why I'm saying, you see, here is a splendid analysis of how people fall, how people fall from their spirituality. No? That's why I'm asking you, look at yourselves, all those of you who abandoned the spiritual path, all those of you who fell out of the path, all those of you who think you now are on another path, and you are, you know, how are your spiritual efforts? How are your spirit bigger than two, three years ago, or smaller? Concretely, no bullshit, no lying. How many minutes of karma yoga you do per day? Like Shivananda's spiritual diary. Today, how many minutes of asanas have you done? How many minutes of pranayama? How many minutes of mental concentration? How many minutes of dhyana or meditation? How many minutes of sexual tantra? How many minutes of karma yoga? How many minutes of this? How many minutes of self-study? Like how many pages did you read from the Geranda Samhita? Or something. No? Like concretely... Coldly, concretely, not bullshit, new age, hippie answer. Yeah, don't worry. It's not yours to ask me how spiritual I am. I am spiritual enough. You don't know. This is just jerking off. It's people who lie to themselves and they put this shameless mask, you know, like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. You know, it's not, uh, you know, this is cheeky. It's just to be cheeky. And it's the reaction of the demons. It's a demonic reaction. It's not what Jesus would have done. It's not what the great spiritual people would have done. And that's why... And then Jesus continues the negative part. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. It's not about one night. On a day when he does not expect him. It's the whole life. Remember, there have been people who fulfilled their tasks of life very quickly. Shankaracharya, Adi Shankaracharya reached full samadhi when he was 16 years old. And he left his body when he was 32 years old, without even being crucified or murdered or something. No? Like, God is coming. For some people it's happening quick. Pam! Everything, for some people, it happens more, it, it, it's slower... And for some people it takes a lot of time. What does it depend on? I can only speculate. Depends on the karma of that person. What tests that soul has already passed. The temperament of that person. The intentions of God with that soul. And all that. And thus, we don't know. But we know that the master will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour... He is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Here Jesus makes a very cruel description. What does the master do for this? He will cut him to pieces. It's like Jesus describes a a thing of an incredible cruelty. He will cut him to pieces like Chinese torture. And assign him a place with the unbelievers, which means to hell. We'll send him to hell. Because according to the standards of those days, the unbelievers were going not to the kingdom of heaven, not to paradise. Therefore, they were going in the only other place left, 
which was into hell. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will, will be beaten with many blows. Like, there will be less consequences when you don't know. If you are a Mr. Nobody who has no spiritual perspectives, then you are born like an animal, you live like an animal, you die like an animal, and nobody was expecting anything else from you. This is the animalistic existence of many, many people on this planet. Especially in Kali Yuga, there are so many souls which are incarnated and which are very inferior, closer to the baboon than to the angels or devas, that people live animalistically, they live unconsciously, they die unconsciously, and even their guardian angel counts them. One, two, fifteen, twenty, a hundred. You know, they just go. They are numbers. These are just a herd of animals who are born, biologically live, and they die. There's no expectation. There's no standard. There is no... How should I say? There is... Nothing at stake. There are no stakes there to be uh, fulfilled. But he says, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants, he will be beaten with many blows. That's why many hermetic and kabbalistic texts, they say very clearly, when you fall from a high position you fall much worse than when you fall from a little position. How much can a baboon err? Not too much, because he is not given great understanding, he is not given great knowledge, he is not given great power, and therefore his error is that he eats a bit more, he eats a bit more ugly, he eats a bit more inferior, his sexual life is more inferior, his sleep is, more, is inferior... Like, what's the big deal? What's the, how much failure will that mean for a baboon compared to another baboon? Not much. But, for a human being who knows, then, to know, you must do. Otherwise, that's why knowledge is like a curse. That's why in the Matrix, that guy says, ignorance is bliss. Like, I want to forget that there is a matrix. I want to exist in the matrix like a slave and not know that I am a slave and not know about the matrix. Which is exactly the opposite of aspiration and the longing for knowledge and the longing for enlightenment. Nobody really wants to forget and to become ignorant. No? But it's why? Because knowledge is a heavy burden. In the moment when you have it, the standard of your life has to change. And that's why he says it. Listen to what Jesus says. That servant who knows his master's will, like you know what God wants from you and from the rest of mankind, and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants, 
Ah, yeah, God wants me to go and evolve. Uh, Next life. Next life. Right now, I just want to have some fun. I want to take a break. That stupid story which I say from Elizabeth Hage and Yasudian, where he got the thing, or she got the thing, I don't know which of them, that now they were not doing too much spiritual practice, because they had done spiritual practice in a previous life, and now they were in a lifetime which was like a break. That's a lie. They were just lazy, and they were trying to find an esoteric excuse for being lazy. Nobody is in a life where they have to lie down and do nothing. Only the people who are not listening to this satsang, and therefore the people who truly don't know. Will this satsang hit more than 1% of the population of the world, like exaggerating very optimistically? No. Therefore 99% will say, well, we didn't know. It's like, you know, we were born as animals, we lived as animals, we died as animals. That's the way it is. But if you know and does not do what his master wants, he will be beaten with many blows. That's what we say in the metaphysical workshop. That people who do not want to freely evolve through their own sweet will, they will be beaten by Kali. Kali beats them from behind. Evolve, evolve, but I just want to stay for 20 years and just watch sunsets. There isn't such a thing. There isn't. This is a form of tamas, and there isn't a break. You cannot, you are not allowed to take a break. God did not create a school where you take a break during the school. It's a relentless process where you have to go and go and go and go. The master wants his will fulfilled. And his will, for human beings, is called evolution. You have to evolve. Willy-nilly. You like it or you don't like it, you agree or you don't agree. And if you don't do it, then Jesus says, he will be beaten with many blows. People say, my life is shit. God is punishing me. I suffer, so what does he want? What does he want from you? He wants you to evolve. You are not evolving. You are stuck. You are not evolving. And because you are not evolving, you are being beaten. And everybody knows where they are stuck and what they are not doing. Yeah, uh, but I am doing my pranayama. Yes, you are doing your pranayama and you are an egoistic bastard for the last 10 years. And whenever somebody is asking, give this up, give this up, give this up, you say, no, no, this I cannot give up. This by no means I can. You know, I can do whatever, but right now I don't feel prepared for that. It's like you have to take your exam in chemistry and you say, you know what, I can take exams in uh, uh, economics and this, but not in chemistry, not this week. I don't feel prepared. The university says, are you crazy? This week the professor is coming for the exam in chemistry. You cannot play games with the university. The university tells you this month, next week, There is the chemistry exam. And if you don't pass it, you are going to be beaten with many blows. That means there will be consequences. And you cannot choose when you pass an exam or that you don't want to pass an exam, not without consequences. 
when you remember what we say in the metaphysical workshop, that the sheep which are lagging behind in a herd, they have to be beaten and impelled by the shepherd to make them go. They are the ones who get the whip. They are the ones that the dogs are barking at. They are the ones that get beaten with stones because they are the slow ones, the lazy ones. The, the shepherd is never getting to beat the sheep which are up front because those are okay. They are fulfilling the task. Therefore, the servant who knows his master's will, which is evolve, and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants, will be beaten with many blows. So next time when you say that your life is shit and you suffer and you don't know why, ask yourself again, what am I not doing from the will of God? What am I not fulfilling from the will of God? Because definitely something is there. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. The one who does not know, the baboon, who does not know that the law of life is evolution and does things deserving punishment. They kill people, they steal, they beat, they do all the misery of the world. But they don't know. They will be beaten with few blows. There is more punishment for a spiritual person who lies on the job than for an ignorant who did not receive anything. Please remember, when you go advanced in spirituality, the spiritual knowledge is a great responsibility. Shambhala is giving you something and you become the steward. You become the holder. You become the bearer of that. I have the responsibility of bearing the Agama Yoga, the Tantric styles of Yoga in the 21st century. I, I cannot quit. There are people out there who say, Swamiji, why don't you stop teaching? You are an asshole, you are a jerk and so on. I will not. Not before I die. It will not happen. Because I have a responsibility and I have to do what my master Shiva wants. God wants me to do this. That's what I do. I teach, I speak, I instruct, I give aspiration. Because if I don't do it, there will be many blows. Many blows. At least those who don't know, they will receive fewer blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the law of the universe. Some of you who are in yoga and spirituality, you have been given much. But God expects from you even more. You have to give 110%. And if you are not prepared for this, you should have known it from the beginning and you should withdraw as quick as possible. Don't go around trying to fish mantras, esoteric knowledge, yantras, secrets of the universe, because the more you get, the more is being asked from you. God is saying there are 10,000 people on earth out of 7 billion who know these things. You have been one of those 10,000 people chosen for this. What have you done?
What have you done with what was entrusted? God has made you manager over his servants. What have you done? You are just beating the servants and drinking and eating and abusing it. That's terrible. Yeah? So there are many, many things that you have to think here about people who are having knowledge and responsibility in spirituality and how they behave about this, about their spiritual responsibility. Somebody was complaining to me a couple of days ago. They said, oh, when you read these paragraphs from Jesus, it's so tough, it's so rough. We expected some more Zvadistanistic softness, political correctness, you know, like uh, some soothing saying, some uh, words of compassion and uh, how much God loves us. And of course, God does love us a lot. But as you can see that sometimes Jesus says there is a price to pay. You ask for much, you will have to pay much. There is no free lunch in this universe. Even in the relationship with the divine, everything is based on a law of action and reaction, on a law of equality, on a law of balance in the universe. And Jesus is starting now a paragraph where he speaks exactly about this, why he is not a soothsayer and a peaceful person in this way. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. Fire on earth. After he was crucified, fire started. In Israel, half of the Jews, or maybe less than half, became Christian. Uh, let's say 10% of the Jews became Christian. And the other 90% were killing and punishing those who became Christian. In the Roman Empire, in Greece, in Little Asia, and then in Rome itself, people became Christian and the persecution of Christians lasted for 350 years. There was persecution of Christians even after that. Like Francis of Assisi was persecuted in the year 1100 and something while being a Catholic Christian in a Catholic country. He was persecuted by his own fellow, by his own citizens, by his own uh, country men who were also Christian, but he was in a different way, and they didn't like that, and they punished him, and he was persecuted often. So was Teresa of Avila, so was John of the Cross, so were so many others. And what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that Jesus brought this fire. This is one of the challenges of monotheism. Already when the Jews became monotheistic because their fathers discovered God, the one God, all, all the people around them, they were polytheistic and animistic, shamanistic, whatever. Then 
the Jews created a lot of fire. They kindled a lot of fire. The Babylonians took them into prison. The Egyptians took them into slavery. So many wars they had with the Amalekites and the Phoenicians and the so many, so many others. There was no rest because the Jews were already having this, we are chosen by God because we are the only monotheistic people in this area and the other people are Gentiles and they are inferior. And because of this, they provoked the other people implicitly. The other people wanted to destroy them to have them under control, and this created fermentation. It's like you put some yeast in a liquid, and then it starts bubbling. It starts bubbling, because it fermentates. This fermentation is transformation. And this transformation for human beings is evolution. And when there is no fermentation, there is not much evolution. Oh, I had a good life. I was born healthy, living in a peaceful place. The sun was rising in the morning. The sun was setting in the evening. I was smiling. The food was coming easily. Everything just flowed. Then one day I died. That's a person who has evolved this much in a lifetime. You lived for 80 years and because there was no ferment, because Kali didn't bring about revolution, war, epidemics, change, this, that, then there was no challenge. And there was no challenge, there was no evolution. There were no spiritual tests. There was nothing to validate that. That's why the Chinese say, may you live in interesting times. Because interesting times means a lot of challenges. It means a lot of tests. And here, Jesus says, I hate when the world is slow. Slow. Oh, next life. Now look at the sunset. It's so beautiful. Why should we worry? Jesus says, fuck all this lazy lifestyle. Screw all this slow, comfortable life. Put fire under your ass. Churn it. There should be churning. Because when there is churning, people can evolve in one lifetime as much as before they evolved in a hundred lifetimes. Tibetan yogis say the following. One lifetime. One lifetime. Spend in the search of the divine of Buddha, is worth more than all the other lifetimes together that you had in a cosmic yuga. In a cosmic yuga, if it's 26,000 years and you are incarnated every 400 years, there will be roughly 24,000 divided by 400 is what? It's, you can have 60 lifetimes or 600 lifetimes maybe I missed a zero somewhere there you know you can have many lifetimes one lifetime in which you spend in search of the truth is more than all the other lifetimes that you have spent in a cosmic cycle 60 lifetimes one 
is more valuable. Because in those 60 lifetimes, there was no fire. There was no Jesus troubling the waters. And then Jesus is coming and producing fire. For 350 years, people who wanted to be Christian, they risked to be thrown in the Colosseum to the lions. There was a lot of evolution there. Some of those people reached enlightenment in five years. Just because they turned Christian, they stayed Christians, they died by martyrdom, and they were enlightened by martyrdom, and they became, they went to Shambhala, they became enlightened beings. No? And it was because their life was no peaceful. Jesus sees this peacefulness as death. I have been with spiritual masters who are churning, 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 churning. I'm not much like this. I am rather one of the lazier ones that allows people to go into their own rhythm and da-da-da and da-da-da. But I have seen spiritual masters who are like dynamos. They wouldn't let you sleep in the night. Morihei Ueshiba, he was inventing new things about Aikido and he woke the whole ashram, the whole dojo up in the night at 3 o'clock and said, come everybody, I want to show you. Like people are saying, come on man, can't you show us tomorrow at 8 o'clock, you know. You're just an insomniac old man, manic and compulsive, obsessive temperament, you know, and you have to wake up at three o'clock to just show us a new exercise from Aikido. And how important is that? For Morihei Shiba, the important thing was the inner state that you are burning, 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 burning. You are not tamasic. You are not lazy. Therefore, maybe you cannot do it like Jesus. Jesus was praying, the disciples were falling asleep. Jesus was praying, the disciples were falling asleep. Jesus was praying, the disciples were falling asleep. Okay, they didn't have his fire, but he gave them some fire. Even in the form of social life, persecution, karma yoga, whatever it was, it was there. So Jesus says, I did not come to bring this peaceful lifestyle. You can say, but the yogis from India, they wanted Shanti. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Yes, but why don't you go for six months in a hermitage to live alone or with two other people who, with whom you don't speak more than seven words per day, like real spiritual life, and see if you do the spiritual practice. You wake up in the morning and what do you do? Do you just get bored and poke your ears and poke your nose all day long? That's what you do? What do you do? Because if you have this fire, it's there. Jesus doesn't want people to waste precious time. Some people say, but I want to waste it. Then better you don't listen to this and you don't know what God wants because then there will be few blows. There will still be blows because Kali does not tolerate you to just stay and get zero evolution. But if you are a very knowledgeable person, then you have to push and push. Because otherwise there will be many blows. 
Remember this, all of you who are initiated with Kundalini and mantras and Mahavidyas and so on, many blows, many blows. You can say, but isn't God merciful? Yeah, but that has nothing to do with it. That's about you. So Jesus explains this, I have come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it was already kindled. Like he says, how I wish I was already crucified and the things were moving. No, when they found Jesus' tomb empty in the movie of Franco Zeffirelli, this Jewish guy who was one of the main agents of it, he says, now it's starting. Now it's all starting. This fire which is kindled, the death of Jesus was the final ingredient, his resurrection was the final ingredient to produce the dynamite. That's when the dynamite exploded. And there couldn't be peace. No, You are with him or you are against him. It's as simple as that. So he says, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. That baptism is that he is going to be baptized Christ. It's the baptism of crucifixion and resurrection. It's the baptism of blood. So it's a terrible thing. It's going to be an ordeal. It's a rite of passage, which is the ultimate rite of passage. But he still says, I, how distressed I am until it is completed. How I wish it were already kindled. So Jesus says, I want a dynamic earth. I want a planet where people are subjected to tests and challenges. And they do not just breathe the oxygen of planet earth without evolution. Don't lie on the job. Evolution, evolution, evolution. Challenges, challenges, challenges. I know many of you don't like it. There are parts in me who don't like it. Because there is a lazy person in me as there is in every one of you. But when you get in the eye of the cyclone, then there is nothing more to do. It's like the maelstrom. It's like the whirl in the water. The closer you get to the middle of it, the more fast the spinning gets. You want to get close to God? Then be prepared for fire. Like the seraphim that are angels of fire because they are the closest to God. And God is like quicksilver fire. You know, it's like dynamic. It's life. It's the life of the universe. It's what keeps us from chaos and thermal death and entropy and falling into darkness. Let there be light. And thus, Jesus wants life. It's like in the philosophy of fire and ice. Ice is death and inertia and spirit is fire and movement. And we all sometimes say, give me a break. I need three days of ice. God is great. God is compassionate. God is merciful. All those of you who listen to this, you know if you have been spiritual practitioners for a while, that sometimes you have taken illegal breaks. 
that sometimes you have cheated, you have played truant, you have had moments where you didn't think about the master is coming, the master is coming, the master is coming, where you did not really work for your evolution and still you have not been punished with many, many blows. Because there is a level of forgiveness and compassion. But it's not 100%. It's not forever, and you cannot push that envelope forever. Don't think that for a second you are falling into a big error and into a big confusion. Thus, Jesus simply says, I am the pure light of God. I am fire. I am the restlessness of the Spirit. Say it's not Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Yes, Shanti for the yogis who are doing 20 hours of meditation per day. When you do meditation like Milarepa, 16 hours per day, then it's Shanti. But it's Shanti not it's Shanti because you have fulfilled. It's Shanti because you have reached Nirvana. It's Shanti because you are staying in a place of Bhava Samadhi. And from there you, have, you are witnessing the universe. That Shanti means something else. That Shanti is not the laziness of somebody who is shirking their own process of evolution. That Shanti is the Shanti of someone who does the dues of the process and enjoys Shanti, peace, as a result of it. Don't mix things up. This is amatorish ways of giving excuses by mixing a lot of things from a lot of places. And he continues like this. I will probably stop during this paragraph to resume it next time. He says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? What peace? Already the earth was in shit. The Roman Empire was terrorizing everybody. And then they were preaching peace. Peace? After you've been fucked by the Roman Empire. Peace? Under the leadership of the Roman Empire. It was called Pax Romana. The Roman peace. First we make you our slave. And then we tell you, don't touch weapons to make a revolt. Make Roman peace. It's peace as long as we are in charge. The same thing is happening today. Since 200 years, since the French Revolution and all this so-called modern democracy and so on, dark forces have taken over the rulership of this planet. This thing with the coronavirus is just a drop in an ocean and it's very meaningful as shown by David Icke in that interview because it shows that it's part of a plan. It's not the coronavirus which is important in itself. It's the fact that it is used as a pretext for doing other social major actions and movements. And now the people who have taken over, who are running America and the European Union and the other uh, big powers to be on earth, they don't want you to have a revolution. There is a German doctor who stood up, a female doctor, and who said it's anti-constitutional in all Europe to put people inside the house and to take their freedom of this just because some of the people are afraid of a fucking flu. It's anti-constitutional. This is the definition of fascism. Then why don't you put people to have a yellow star on their chest because they are Jewish? 
Why don't you put people to have two stripes here on their right chest because they are uh, Im- having coronavirus or not having? They are immunized or not? That's what they want. To have a sign which shows you got your vaccine or not. This is fascism. It's not freedom. It's, the, it's not the definition of democracy. Democracy cannot impose on people more than a certain limit. If you go beyond that limit, then it's communist China. Then it's German, Nazi Germany. Then it's fascist Italy. It becomes, it's communistic Romania from 30 years ago. It becomes fascism. No? And therefore, people say, we want peace on earth. Yes, peace on earth with Morgan, Rockefeller and Rothschild on top and with Soros and Bill Gates and these people being their gophers. And once this banking empire runs the planet, then peace. Nobody is allowed to have weapons. Even the Americans are asked to relinquish their weapons so that Big Brother can rule. Then they put the military on the street and you are just shrugging your shoulder and say, what can we do in this? This is the peace on earth. The peace on earth is like, don't trouble the waters. Not too much fire. Let's live a peaceful life. Let's live a quiet life. That's not true from a spiritual standpoint. Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. Because the world is in Kali Yuga and it sucks. 2,000 years uh, after Jesus, Julius Evola wrote a book which he called Revolt Against the Modern World. He was revolted by the modern world. Revolt against the modern world. I am paying tax to a government and that government pays soldiers to keep me locked in my house. But then I better go into Robin Hood mode. I don't pay anything to anybody because I disagree with what is happening. This is the time to remember Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi said you don't need to do anything violent. You just need to practice civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. You just go out there and sit on your ass and say, I'm not going to comply with anything you say or do. You can put me to prison, you can beat me, you can torture me. Let's see if you can put to prison and torture and beat everybody in a country. Civil disobedience. I will not mock in until you guys don't disappear. Go drown yourself. Go emigrate to some unknown continent somewhere. All the assholes. And leave us alone to be free indeed. That's why Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace on earth. Because peace under the Roman Empire, peace is a tragedy. It means that schizophrenic Caligula and Nero, they are allowed to be emperors and run the world. Do you want peace like that? Oh no, not somebody like Jesus, definitely. And that's why, Jesus, that's why Jesus is not giving you this soothing thing and take it easy. And no, he says, I did not come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. People say, Swamiji, Agama Yoga has caused a lot of division among people. Good. I'm happy for that. Even if I have to take bitter consequences for it, I'm happy for that. 
people have to be slapped in the face. People have to be given a cold shower. I did not decide on that. Look who decides on that. Look who is giving the model on that. I am not worthy to tie the shoelaces of Jesus. I am nobody compared to Jesus. But the truth is the truth. And Jesus says, stop this weak thing. Oh, we want peace on earth. Like all the women in the Miss Universe, they say, what do you wish? I wish peace on earth, you know. These fake Svadistanistic things. Peace on earth when the earth is under the power of the devil. It means to comply with the devil. It means to condone the devilish things. It means to put up with the darkness and the demonism. Remember, for the evil to triumph, it's just enough for good people to do nothing. Jesus could not sit and do nothing. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to turn everything upside down. I tell you, division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And the division is coming, of course, because some of them accept Jesus and, some of, and his way, and some of them do not. Like it's black, or white. Ah, oh, but you know, there can be many middling positions. Jesus hates the middling positions. Jesus wants you to be for or against. He is coming from a divine presence, which is fiery. He says, I came to bring fire on earth, and I want it burning alive and intensely. If you cannot take the heat, go away. Run away. Be baboons. Simply say, we are not prepared to go to the kingdom of heaven. We are not prepared to live a life in the fast lane of spirituality. We are not prepared to live at the standards of Shambhala. We are chickens. We are cowards. We are baboons. Stay then and live an animal life. Live another 500 lives until your evolution will grow so that you won't be able to be a baboon anymore. But otherwise... There has to be this provocation. He says, I tell you, I came not to bring peace, but to bring division. This division is exactly what is meant through this. Let those who are anti-entropic stand up and go to God. And let those who are chaotic and entropic go down into darkness. It's as simple as that. God wants some division because there needs to be some choices. There needs to be some choices. It's like exams in a university. If you will see the, some of the first scenes in the old edition of the movie um, Flatliners. There was an old Flatliners done 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And then there is a new Flatliners done a couple of years ago. <laughs> the previous one, the old one. There, students in medical school in some American university, they are in an exam. And the teacher tells them clearly, in this exam, there will be two A's, two B's, 
two C's and there will be 40% uh, promotion rate. What if everybody is a genius? No. There will be two A's, two B's, two C's. It's a sort of a competitive system created by some American universities in which simply there cannot be more than two A's. Only the most brilliant of the brilliant. If the whole group is at the level of Nobel Prize winning, only the first two of those Nobel Prize winners, the best of them, will take A's. The next two, although they are Nobel Prize winners, they will take B's. They will take the second grade. Why? Just to create a hierarchy and a competitiveness. Just to churn the waters. Remember, the American system of... Enterprise, this enterprising American spirit. Don't stay, get up, do. Don't be lazy, otherwise you die of hunger. The same thing applied in spirituality. I have almost all the people that I have encountered in my life doing spirituality. They were hippie bums. And almost all the people that had this go, 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 go overachiever, the people who go to Anthony Robbins kind of seminars and so on, they did not do spirituality. They did money, power and ego. That's the tragedy. That in Kali Yuga, the people that have this power to go, 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 go against laziness, overachievers, but not overachievers in the society, Overachievers like Mother Teresa, overachievers in Karma Yoga, overachievers for God, like the guy who created the Opus Dei and who many people dislike, but actually he created an overachiever organization to work in the favor of the Catholic Church. Of course, the enemies of the Catholic Church, they hate it. And they don't lose any opportunity in documentaries and in uh, uh, Hollywood movies to put it down, to describe those people as maniacs and killers and liars and this. But that's because it had an effect on the other side. I'm not Catholic and I don't belong to the Opus Dei, but I can see very clearly the spiritual potential. So here, Jesus simply says... There will be division because this division is like some people are saved, some people are lost. Let's make it clear so there is not this, uh, well, you never know. Uh, some people are wonderful as they are, not for Jesus. In the moment when you fall in the eyes of Jesus, everybody is divine, everybody is a soul from God, and some of those souls go to the kingdom of heaven and some don't. It's as simple as that. No? And that matters. If I tell you everybody is wonderful, but today some people will get good food and some people will get only caca to eat, then you will say, oh, it's not fair. That's how it is in the universe. It is fair because it goes according to the karma. It goes according to the universal laws. Let us stop here. Let's stay here. For this where Jesus announces why he has this divisive position, this, pro, this provocative position, because he wants to create this fire in the world. And he did, indeed.
Jesus is one of the people who created one of the greatest fires, if not the greatest fire in the world. Remember, there were people who wanted to assassinate Buddha. Buddha was not provocative like this. He simply said, let those who come to me. You know? And he was not stepping on people's toes too much. And still they tried to kill him. There were people who assassinated Milarepa. There were people who killed the friend or the teacher, nobody knows exactly what he was, of Rumi. There were people who killed the disciple of Francis of Assisi and they tortured him by fire. Like what sort of world we are living in? Yeah? So this is provoking. It's very, very provocative. And Jesus is giving us the directive. You have to be provocative. You have to provoke one way or the other. We'll continue this discussion in the next satsang. With this, let us stop for tonight. Thank you all for joining and we'll continue in the coming issues of this. I hope this digital message is reaching you and you can feel the energy and you can benefit from these lessons about divine message. Enough for tonight.